It's an interesting brief uh, set of verses that Jude wrote at the time that, um, that he did. He uh, is understood to have been one of the apostles that stayed in Jerusalem and enabled the church there at kind of the beginning place of everything uh, to grow and to flourish. And there were many people who witnessed the, the very life of Jesus in that environment. And uh, the response after Jesus had uh, died and rose again uh, was to assemble as a church and to carry on the work that he was uh, calling uh, them and ultimately us to do. Uh, but somewhere along the way, people started to lose their sense of who they were and what was important. And uh, like anything, if you do something long enough, uh, after a while, you start to lose a sense of its significance and, its, and the magnitude of what it's really all about. And he saw some of the people within the church starting to kind of wane a little bit in their faith and their trust and their commitment to God. And uh, some of them were even getting pulled into directions that were killing them spiritually. And uh, Jude was at first writing a letter to just uh, say some very positive things about the, the, the congregation, but he became aware that some of this stuff was developing and, and brewing, and it uh, was concerning for him. And so he wrote a variety of things that echoed uh, major biblical events like um, uh, the, um, the situations that happened with Moses in the Exodus, uh, things that happened during the time before the flood, and, and a few other references to say, you remember how it went down there? If some people are staying on this course, it'll be the same thing for them. And it sounds a little harsh in tone when you read part of it, but what I really like is how he ends it, because he's so positive overall in what he has to say. And as a pastor, I can really relate to that. I mean, I, I love being positive. I like to, uh, to affirm uh, all of the wonderful things that our salvation has brought to bear upon our lives. Um, I, I, wouldn't be, uh, I, I wouldn't be in the circumstances that I'm in if it wasn't for the Lord. Uh, coming into my life at one point. I wouldn't have the family that I have. I wouldn't have the, the church family that I have. I wouldn't have um, all of the blessings that go to make up my life, uh, particularly, uh, that um, are sourced in God. And it's because he saved me. And I, I think if I were to ask you in this room and you thought about what would your life be like had God not been a part of your life experience? What would someone like Bill Hinchcliffe been like had God not been a central part of his life? And, you know, it's, it's much like it's a wonderful life. Uh, it could play out one way. That is, if the influences are there, good things unfold. However, if the influences aren't there, then it's a different story. And Jude was very concerned that somewhere down the road, the story of the Jerusalem church and anybody else that would receive the letter might turn out different than it, than it was supposed to. And he wanted to keep things on track. And so I want to wrap this uh, two-part message up uh, today uh, by taking a little bit of a riff from Hey Jude. And that is um, remembering uh, to, to, to keep him in your heart. Um, and it's a way of just saying... God is really 
the, the being whom we were created to worship. And not only that, our lives were designed to reflect uh, the characteristics of his life through ours to other people. Um, yesterday, uh, in, this, in this setting, the, the room was filled. And I was just chronicling the fruit of the Spirit as it related to Bill Hinchcliffe's life. And I, I know that every one of those um, uh, aspects of that wonderful fruit was alive in his life. And people who came to show respect did so gladly, uh, even with a little bit of a delay. There wasn't, uh, that I'm aware of, any complaining. Uh, it was an honor to be able to be in the, in the environment that celebrated a person who added so much value wherever he went. And I know that whenever we live our lives with God at the center, it's just attractive. And when we live our lives when God's not at the center, but we call ourselves Christians, it distracts and it divides. And Jude is aware that that very thing can happen. And I, I just want to go into the message today by asking the question, how can I keep the love of God alive in my heart? Because I know there are forces at work that want to keep it uh, maybe somewhere else or not at all. And I have a few verses that in the letter that I, I just want to explore a little bit with you uh, today. Um, and, and that is, um, Jude uses this word, but you, or phrase rather, but you, beloved, um, remember. And there are some things that we just have to keep in mind all the time. Um, and the first thing that he says, it's a broken world. And there is an explanation that uh, he offers in the scripture and I'd like to just refer to that real quickly if we could. He said, remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people devoid of the spirit who are causing divisions. And what he wants us to be aware of is that it is a broken world. And, you know, one of the things that I see that um, sometimes is, is inconsistent with who we call ourselves as believers and followers of Jesus and what other people see uh, is when our own brokenness starts to come through. And, and lately, I've been hearing more and more about how social media is, um, is so polarized, primarily over the election and, and people, you know, either being very happy or very upset about it. And, and, and sometimes uh, the, the digital tongue... If you were to look at James and say, control your tongue, the digital tongue of, of believers is of such a nature that um, it's reflecting um, this brokenness in a way that is counterproductive to the faith and not good for our testimony or witness. I, I, I personally struggle with social media um, because I, I know that, uh, for example, whenever I'm speaking, um, a lot of times body language says a lot, doesn't it? And matter of fact, people will say almost 80% of what you're trying to say is communicated through body language. And yet, if you have just one little line that doesn't have any body language or any context, 
it is so prone to being taken out of context and misunderstood that I'm honestly scared of social media for that reason. There's actually, there's actually a lot of talk in the industry, so to speak, of pastors about how social media is, um, is the source of a lot of pastors actually being fired. And um, I thought, I, of course, I raised my eyebrows. And I'm like, why, why would they fire pastors over social media? What are they doing? And many times it's because uh, guys like myself will get on there and we'll weigh in on things and we'll have a pretty sharp or sarcastic tone. And uh, it comes across as not being really, really edifying to the name of Christ. And uh, a lot of churches are frustrated when they see their pastors get on there and just rail against this and, and, and go off on that. And I understand that there is a need to maybe call things out. But for me, if I'm, if I'm going to call something out, I, I would want to do it face-to-face. And um, I'd want to have a conversation. And it would be more like a question than it would be an accusation uh, if it were anyone um, and, and perhaps if you had to call me out, I would hope that you would do the same. So it's a broken world with communication venues that sometimes take away from who we represent. And so we have to be very careful. But it's a broken world on many, many fronts. And um, I, I, can, I can tell you as a pastor, on any given week, I, I, if I were to break my, my life up into slices of pie, there are probably between 10 and 20 individuals or circumstances that I would be having a conversation with, and the circumstances are of <laughs> pretty major gravity, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to engage uh, different individuals uh, in the course of the week uh, with problems, with concerns, with needs, with things that are weighing heavily on them. And, and if you just divided my, my life into a, a pie, uh, that could be happening 15, 20 times a week. And some of the things are, are, are overwhelming. And there are times when I go home and I'm, I'm, I'm literally just spinning in my head because back to back, I'll have repeated things um, uh, that, that have come my way that I've had to help people process. Now, don't get me wrong. It's part of my calling as a pastor. But there are times when it can happen day after day, week after week, month after month, and um, the brokenness can get to you. And I'm guessing that many of you in the room are saying, yeah, you're not the only one, Pastor. I have those things in my life as well. And at times, they can be so persistent and relentless and, and, and ongoing that we start to lose our head a little bit. And if we do, then that's where things can, can go south. I wonder sometimes if pastors don't get on social media at event because they don't oftentimes have anybody to talk to about their problems. And so it's just a way of, of letting off some steam. And Jude, I think, is trying to remind us that even though they didn't have social media and the type of technological aspects of, of life that we share, they had their own issues that paralleled. Their, when you have people 
and you have people together, you're going to have broken uh, relationships and community. And Jude said just... But you, beloved, remember, it is a broken world. And people will even come and say, it is so messed up that there is no God. Because how could God allow these kind of things to happen? And what Jude wants us to do is to remember something else. And that is, remember your rituals. Now, that's an odd word. We don't use rituals very often. But how many of you, when you got up this morning, did the very same thing that you do when you get up every morning? I mean, be honest. Pretty much the same thing. Get out of bed the same way. Trip over the cat the same way. Have the dog barking at you while you're in the shower the same way. Saying the same thing to the dog about being quiet because you're going to wake everybody up the same way. Brushing your teeth the same way. Drinking your cup of coffee the same way. Uh, These rituals, if we didn't do them, we probably wouldn't keep our sanity, would we? And yet, there are other rituals that are so critical for our well-being that involve the rhythm of coming to church, that involve the rhythm of staying engaged with the things of God. And if you can just um, make these into routines, they actually have a sustaining power. One of the reasons why people have said or asked Why is it that of all the races of people that have existed through time, why is it that the Jewish people have been around for so long and so many other people have come and gone? And most of the races of people or groups of people that were prevalent during Jesus' time, they're, they're no longer there. And so people have said, not only have the Jewish people sustained themselves over a great length of time, but they've managed to sustain their identity in such a way that they thrive no matter where they go. And people will tell you who are familiar with their way of life, they will say that they have consistently embedded rituals into their lives that are sacred. And they pass them on from generation to generation to generation. And many of them involve religious observance. Uh, They involve um, festivities and gatherings and celebrations that have religious overtones. And it's a way of them saying rituals sound like a bad word when you live in a free world and you can do whatever you want. But if we just do what we want to do all the time when we feel like doing it, what is that a recipe for? chaos and anarchy and ultimately you wake up one day and you're like I'm not sure where I belong what life means and um, what's important anymore and so rituals are a way of keeping us centered on those things that we have discovered to be important and how does Jude keep this group of people focused Well, these are the things that we see next in the scriptures um, as we're kind of plowing through verse 17 to the end of the the book. And here's what he says. Literally, he says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now, how do you build yourself up on your most holy faith? Well, if if you have a Bible and you spend some time there, it's a way of telling yourself every day, 
something from God as you're reading the word and he's speaking to you through it. And it's building you up. It's keeping you fortified and strengthened. And over time, it, it, it just becomes something that um, in many ways, it's, it, it, it's, it's natural. And then he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. And I go through periods of time where I keep a rhythm where I'm, I'm, I'm fasting um, at least part of a day of a week or at least once a week. And I remember getting so caught up in taking care of a lot of different pastoral needs and administrative things and all the little fronts that, that go to make up the world in my role. And I remember just kind of pushing God's word to the side except using it for sermon preparation, not fasting and not, not, not praying like I should. And um, not really even thinking about the relationship that I have with God on a personal level. And I remember waking up one day and just saying, wow, I feel so disconnected from God. I, I, I feel so spiritually empty. And I, I, I feel in, in many ways like I have, I, I have nothing to offer anyone. And I stepped back for a minute and I said, you know, what have you been doing and I looked at the, the, the past month or so, and I realized all I've been doing is just going from one event to another to another without taking care of some of the most important things that you have to take care of. And that is your, your faith, your engagement with God through the Holy Spirit and prayer, and then that personal relationship that you have where you intentionally wake up each day and say, Lord, help me to love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And you know, if you can take that ritual and keep that consistent in your life every day, I'm not saying every day will be perfect, but I am, I am saying that if you can do that, your day will be stable, you will have greater clarity of thought, you will be more grounded, you will probably react less, and chances are you'll be able to love other people because you're not so stressed out about being so empty. And Jude gives us that reminder. Stay focused on those things. Stay engaged with, with, with your, your groups of people that you're connected to in church. Stay engaged with worship. Because if you don't, the forces of life will just pull you uh, far, far away from it. And I've seen it happen so much that I, I, I'm reminded of a pastor who, when he started out, he, um, he had 24, and he was kind of beginning to mentor um, young, young men in the faith that would go into ministry. And he had 24 uh, starting out when he began to do that. And at the end of his ministry career, only three of those people had remained active in, in, in ministry, and, and some of them had actually fallen away. And I remember N.T. Wright uh, saying one time, that the thing that had kept him strong in the faith year after year, decade after decade, was that as an Anglican, he practiced something called the daily office. And it was just the reading of certain scriptures in, in, in a type of sort of um, uh, daily book that they use for prayer. And when he did, he said, uh, every guy that I know who is in ministry that did the daily office stayed in ministry. And the ones who were hit and miss, a lot of those guys dropped off. 
So rituals have a place in our lives to keep us stable and anchored in the faith in the long run. And Jude also says, um, lastly, that we need to do this. We need to, um, as the beloved of the Lord, we need to remember to influence others. And this may be the hardest part for some of us. But I like how he says it in the verses that follow. In it, he says, look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And probably many of you could come up here to the front of the room and you could tell your story about how you were here and God came into your life and now you are here. And it's called a testimony. It's a way of describing the events that led up to the change of heart that you had and then the way that God led you through that to a place where now you are living your life in him and with him. And as many of us think about that story, it actually fuels our ability to move forward with whatever new chapter he's leading us into because we've seen what he's done in our lives. We've seen how he saved us, perhaps out of things that would have destroyed us. And we, we value that so much that it gives us a heart for people who are lost just like us. And so Jude says... Have mercy on some who are wavering. It's just a way of saying engage their lives when they're looking a little wobbly. And there have been times when some of you have looked a little wobbly and I've tried to engage and there are others who right now are a little wobbly. And the, the, the idea is that we, we see what's going on in their lives and we know that just like us, there are forces at work that try to take them away from their, their stability in the Lord. And we need to be aware and to act. And then we save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's, that's easier said than done. If you have a fire pit, which I know Denny Niederheiser has a fire pit, um, if you ever talk to Denny. Um, and sometimes when you're burning wood for hot dogs, um, you, um, uh, you, know, you have to adjust the wood or you have to maybe pull something out of the fire. Um, you... you you act very quickly because if you don't, you get burned. And there are those who are caught up in that and sometimes you've got to act because the, the, the fires of the forces of life pull people away. And so it's, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's, it's an extreme act of intervention at times. And then thirdly, he says, have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. And it's just a way of saying there are people that you know that may be caught up in alcohol or drugs or uh, sexual activity that is not becoming of a believer or any variety of things that if you get too close, uh, you may be vulnerable and being pulled into it in a way that it becomes destructive for your very being. And all of those areas of having mercy and saving other people are ways that Jude says we need to be aware. We need to not only be in tune to our salvation and the way that we stay stable in our faith, but we're called to have eyes for other people. And if you just think about all the people that maybe spoke into your life at that critical time, 
whenever you were kind of wavering or wandering or coming to a place where you were sensing that God was calling you into a new way of life, chances are there were people in your world who were saying things to you at the time because God had basically directed them to say those things at that time. And now it's our turn to be aware, to see people wavering, to see people languishing, to see people actually being pulled into things, and to say, uh, to, to, to speak the truth and love to them. And what I like about how this ends is if you didn't have the book of Revelation to end the Bible, I honestly think this next set of verses that comes up could probably end the Bible very well. And it's this beautiful doxology. And in it, Jude writes, I think, with an air of just magnificence. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. You know what? Let's read this together. Since you guys sing so well, I'm sure you lead well too, or, 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 or read well too. I, I can't talk well, but if we do it together, it'll mask my inability. You know, the funny thing was, at yesterday at Bill's funeral, you know how to lead songs. And you know who's not good at leading songs. I was just so thankful. I said, thank you, Lord, for bringing so many people here who can mask my inability to lead songs. And everybody sang out. It was great. And it sounded good. And I told uh, Brian, turn the sound way down on me whenever I sing. <laughs> but for now, we want to turn the sound up a little bit and, and, and say this together to the Lord. Just, let's just say it. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And thus concludes the message series, Hey Jude. Na 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 na. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about that is um, it's just a way of expressing joy that can just be a part of a person's life every day, no matter how broken uh, the world is or no matter what brokenness you've come out of. God has called you into a special relationship to know him forever and to declare his praises. And the more you do it, the more you take joy in doing it. And that relationship is just something that is readily available any time, day or night. And even in this venue today, especially as we bring everything into focus, it's an invitation that God is making to you to be a part of his family forever.